Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and our guest today is Sabrina Guler. And she is a 29-year-old female entrepreneur in the real estate space that co-founded TechVestor, a short-term rental fund that raised $21 million in the last 12 months. And before TechVestor, she worked at Apple in the engineering space as a project manager for the AirPods product line, while helping thousands of people in tech learn about real estate investing. And since 2021, she's flipped, designed, and furnished over 65 houses, built TechVestor's operational infrastructure, and has been nominated for Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2023. So that is a huge resume, Sabrina. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Sabrina, can you give us a little bit more of an insight into your background and how you got started with real estate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've had two parallels in my life. I've always kind of been in real estate. I started when I was super young. I think I got my license when I lived in New York when I was 21 or 22. I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm born and raised Jersey, but I lived between Jersey and Manhattan until I was 23. So I got my license right actually before I went to school. And New York was a pretty tough real estate market to jump into but I've always been fascinated by space, by architecture, by the market in general. And at 22, I decided to go to school. I went to Arizona State, studied marketing. And at the time, I, I, I had an internship early on in my, in my school years that was for something related to digital marketing. And someone on my team had gotten fired and they needed someone quickly to pick up any, any HTML, anything, so someone to roll up their sleeves and figure it out. So that was my entryway into tech. And I got into project management. I always loved project management. I loved business. I I was always fascinated by that. And that's kind of how I ended up at Apple. I, you know, went through climbing the corporate ladder through my engineering career. And I think right when I entered like the midway of my tech career, I got back into real estate. I wanted to find ways to put my income that I was earning as a W-2 employee into real estate deals that helped me earn passive income. And if you're a W-2 employee, if you work in tech or anything related to like, you know, you're making over six figures, you know, I think that's a general commonality that people have in the space. They're looking to put their extra income somewhere and they want it working for them, especially if you're working really hard for your income as it is. And so I bought a second home. My parents live in Arizona. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy this for me when I go there and I'll Airbnb it half the time. And so that was the start of my journey. Little did I know that I would end up doing this full time. And I think, you know, as I was in, investing personally and with my own money, buying single family, Apple at the time had like an internal real estate investing group. And it was for anyone who worked as a W2 employee for Apple and just people trading secrets like on how to invest. Like I bought this and how's this market and what lending are you getting? And I was kind of posting my journey in there internally. And at the time, I think people were looking to do the same as me, but because we all were based out of San Francisco and San Francisco isn't the best real estate market to invest in, at least it's not the best bang for your buck. People were, they wanted me to help them out in Arizona, buy property. 
So I ended up re-getting my license uh, almost eight years later, being out of the real estate game. And that's how I entered into TechVestor, actually. It started organically through me working um, my W2 at Apple and then me uh, helping a lot of people invest you know, into Airbnb while I worked a full-time job. So that's a, that's a mini overview of how I landed here. So when you're helping people to get into like the Arizona market, was it through primarily like a, a fund or was it primarily them purchasing it on their own and owning it outright? Them purchasing it on their own, owning it outright, and then me helping them design and furnish it, pick the right property, you know, run numbers for them, go visit it. I had almost built like a mini team in Arizona accidentally through my own properties. And so essentially I was helping people purchase their own invest, but using my resources. How did you, when you were in the, in California and you were working at Apple, how did you manage your properties in Arizona? And like, how did you even start out building out your team to start helping to manage the different aspects of running an Airbnb? I think that's a great question. And I smile only because I think a lot of people start thinking that they could do it themselves, which was me. Especially like when you when you work W2, you have this mindset that you bet on yourself. So you get your own promotions, you work hard for yourself, you take on a lot of self-projects, whether you're managing teams or people or things. But once you get into this into real estate where you're relying on other people remotely to do things that you cannot do, like I cannot run a meeting and be, you know, plumbing and fixing a toilet. <laughs> in two different states, I eventually migrated over to get help. And it took time. I don't think I built my team overnight, but it took time. And then, you know, one thing led to another, as you get many issues, all these issues owning property, you find the right people to help you. And so that's how I eventually built my team. When you're looking at properties for Airbnb, do you focus primarily in the Arizona market? Or do you also look at different markets as well? No. So that's actually how I started my journey. We're now in 10 different markets. We, because we have my, my business partner and I, he also has a background in Facebook. So he was W2. We both uh, co-founded TechVestor together. We used to manually underwrite a lot of markets. Manually meaning like I would have a pro forma. I would have this calculator that, that made sense for me on what cash on cash I wanted to produce. And then I would go on Zillow and scrub as many houses manually as, a, as I could. And that was fine if you're doing it for like one or two or three or four. And it's not fine if you're doing it for like $10 million worth of property, um, especially during 2020, 2021, when the market was really foggy, like no one could, you know, the, the housing prices were going up, interest rates were down, things were, no one really knew where the market was going. So we built a proprietary software that that's actually the base of our fund right now. It's what allows us to underwrite at scale. And we we basically scrub the MLS every, I think it's 15 seconds. And we take a look at what properties can go through our performer and spit out a, a certain type of cash on cash. And that's actually how we were able to find the 10 markets that we're in today, which was fascinating coming from my side. I've been to a lot of markets, I've traveled. And you also, you don't, you're not exposed to everything in the US, right? You have Austin, you have Phoenix, you have Tampa. And those are things that you read in headlines scrub a market and you're just looking at pure data, a lot of cool markets come up, but also things that are really unexpected. So that's that's how we were able to establish the 10 markets that we're in today. Can you share maybe like the top two metrics and the top two things that are really important when looking for the markets and what you guys are scrubbing and looking for? 
Yeah, I think a lot of people when they're coming from multifamily and storage deals or commercial based deals or just long term rent, uh, long term rentals, people generally factor in OPEX and CAPEX, like an air conditioner blowing out or some large expense. When you get into the Airbnb world, I think people underestimate the cost. And that's really the barrier of entry when you get into short term rental properties because you have to buy decor and games and patio furniture and string lights like you're you're creating an experience you're not creating something that's just you know for a living so i think the number one metric that we learned over time is how much things actually cost to get to get a house up and running and when you factor that in because that's that really defines your revenue that defines you in a very saturated market where there's hundreds of other airbnbs that people can book so as a company we strive to be top ranked on Airbnb, we're always the first page. And we usually hit the top of revenue when you compare us to to other Airbnbs. That's a huge metric that we look for now. Are we budgeting efficiently? Are we budgeting realistically when we're factoring this in before we buy a property? So that's one metric. Another metric we look for is uh, seasonality in homes. We just pay attention to there's some Airbnbs, a different ballgame. You're not looking at occupancy as much as you would for a long-term rental. So we're looking at, you know, at, at the peak season of wherever we're buying, what can we get for that property? And you know, what's the cost of that to run the house per year? So um, very, very different metrics from you know running a, a multifamily property. In the last 12 months, you've been able to raise $21 million, which is huge. Can you kind of walk us through the steps that you had to take and what were the conversations and what surrounded those conversations as you were starting to build up, especially in the early stages of the fundraising process? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, my my business partner and I, we both have backgrounds in tech and we had a pretty good, quote, friends and family group of people that had done really well with owning assets. And at the time, early 2021, people had done well financially and they were looking to diversify their their investments. To answer your question, I think it's it was on in the beginning, it was a lot of friends and family, and it was also timing, which is huge. People underestimate that in business. And then slowly but surely, once we figured out where we stood in the market, like who was interested in Airbnb and who we were as a company and also an asset class, because we're still not a, a fully established institutionalized asset class, right? Then we went the ad spend route. So we have done some Instagram ads. Ironically, even though we had friends and family, our Instagram ads still run in that same group of people. It was just more an intentional approach to go external. But that's that's kind of what we focused on the first, at least for our first round of funding. Um, we've experimented with other channels, but that was the two things that really helped us get there. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. 
When you look at the Airbnb market and where it may project or where it's going to go, what are your thoughts about, you know, will Airbnb continue to grow? Will people be continuing to be positive or there's a great outlook with where Airbnb is planning to to take itself and, and the market and how is it going to grow in the in the near future? Yeah, I think there's a lot of that's been like a hot topic the last, I don't know, week or so. I've seen a couple of like headline articles, half of them being like, you know, Airbnb sucks, the cleaning fees, the people, you know, people say it's oversaturated and it's there's a down market to it. And then you actually look at the data. So you look at like, I think Brian Chesky just, just uh, released Q3 revenue for Airbnb, I think it was like a week and a half ago. And they are 29% year over year from last year in in revenue since last year. So that's pretty significant. And I also think, I don't think the Airbnb will slow down um, in terms of growth and opportunity. I think a lot of people, even hosts, right, are looking to enter the market space. I think what a lot of people have also asked us is the oversaturation in markets. Like, hey, there's a lot of people entering markets trying to make money on Airbnb. You know, how do you guys differentiate yourself? And I think, you know, if you look at our portfolio, you look at our, like how we design our homes, how we rank on Airbnb, um, we're optimized for all of the above. I've spoken to a lot of people who own homes in our markets and they're not doing very well. Um, And it's also because they're not treating it like a commercial portfolio like we are. I think when you're doing this intentionally as a company, you're ranking for SEO, you're ranking for revenue. You don't have that emotional perspective like you do being on Airbnb as like a, you know, this is my 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 garage and this is part of my house. So I think that's how we're set to be optimized. And that's how we're kind of differentiating ourselves from everyone else out there. And that's how we feel confident enough to kind of fight the backlash that we sometimes get for people projecting Airbnb going south. When you're looking at acquiring new Airbnb properties, you know, what are some of the things that you have to look for to make sure that the cost that you had talked about earlier is going to sustain the revenue that it could potentially create? Sorry, you're asking like when we design homes, how do we make sure that that's what how do we forecast that? Yes. How do you forecast it? And how do you make yourselves, I guess, also market yourselves to the end users and the potential clients that are going to be coming through and staying in your properties? That's a great question. So we have two key people in our team that are hyper-focused on that. Like That's all that they focus on. We have a head of data and he will literally zoom in. It's what we call like the, the golden circle in any market. We go into a zip code we establish the highest revenue producing Airbnbs in the area. And we look at the reviews and we look at the comments. We look at what people are interested in. As a portfolio, we buy three to five bedroom homes. That's our sweet spot. We're not super luxury. And we're kind of in that middle tier. We're more geared towards families. And that's that's our niche. There's a thousand things you can be doing on Airbnb. You can own islands. You can own yurts. You can own teepees, but we focus on three to five bedroom homes and we really make sure that we beef those homes up. So we have pool tables and hot tubs and pools, heated pools. So we maximize for that and everything is is driven by data. So you know, for example, we've we've purchased homes without hot tubs and then we've studied that home, why it's maybe producing more or less than the average in that area. And if we feel like a hot tub which is, you know, arguably a seven to twelve thousand dollar expense, would increase the revenue by X percent. We will buy it, and we're we're usually 
Um, we're, we're never really far off from those assumptions. To make it short, it's driven by data. And then also the other side of things is the market within real estate, finding homes out there and, and the competitiveness of actually purchasing the house. How do you guys stand out? And like, what are the things that you do to in order to win the houses that you are and ensure that you know the costs are going to meet your needs and support the, the data that you're seeing? Yeah. So I think when we underwrite homes, like you would for any larger investment, we we, we have a pro forma, we have a, a buffer in what we're able to spend on a home, even if it's over asking, if it's under asking, if there's, you know, an appraisal gap, whatever that looks like, we know those assumptions before we go in and make offers. I think during the height of 2021, when you heard some crazy numbers, like 60 grand over asking cash, we, because we have that buffer and we knew the investment, and where it would swing, you know, in terms of cash on cash based on money being put down, interest rates, all that good stuff. But we treat it as the same way, right? We have a budget, we've arranged, and that's how we make offers. And that's how we stand out competitively. And if we lose a deal because someone outbids us, which we have, that's it. You know, we'll take a seat because we didn't underwrite for that initially. Where do you see the company going? And where do you see yourself and focusing on in the upcoming future here? Yeah, I think the first year of any startup is crazy. And the first year that we opened, I think there was a, a lot of things that happened, right? So operationally, you know, that's my role within the company. I focus on operations, design, furniture, scaling the company, hiring, revenue management, property management, all, all that is in my wheel of the house. At, in the beginning, it was really hard to scale to what the money that we had coming in to, to match that in volume. Now we're kind of in a, in a stabilized place where we know how many houses we can do at a time. We know our sweet spot of the volume that we're able to, to do with scale in terms of like speed, how long it takes for a house to launch, all that good stuff. So I think we're building on that. I think the next um, year or so, we're going to um, go towards and, and raise, raise more capital. And another thing that we're working on is also putting ourselves out there a little bit more. We built a company completely under the radar. And we'd like to share our story and, you know, I, I think build a little bit more in public. So at least that's the goal from the next foreseeable future. What do you think for you personally has been the biggest challenging, especially being a female entrepreneur starting out in the real estate industry and, you know, using technology and data-driven facts to be able to analyze and to do your underwriting and everything like that? What has been the biggest challenge for you starting out? I think it's people. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was a common answer across a lot of people in many different types of businesses, whether it's e-commerce, whatever it is. I think people are so key. Seep and I have been very fortunate to find some incredible people along the way that have helped us build this. And we're lucky to have kept them this, this far into the journey, considering how chaos our, our business has been. But I think it's been people. And I'm sure you, you've heard this with on other multifamily or other commercial type investing podcasts. It's hard to find boots on the ground. And, you know, single family is so much smaller than doing like a, a 400 unit in Houston. So, building a vision, bringing the, you know, the people that are most important to your business into that vision and, you know, making sure that everyone is along with you for the ride, I think was, was the hardest thing, at least to keep building that. Yeah, I, I think it was the people. And, Sabrina, how has real estate investing impacted your life? I, don't even, I couldn't even give you one answer for that. It's changed my entire life. It's made me think about how I spend my time. 
I think we hear that a lot. I remember when I was just starting investing, a lot of people are like, they want to fire, right? Or they want to free their time, you know, spend time with more fam- with family. And that's, how, that's actually how it started for me. I was at Apple, I was working crazy hours. And I was like, God, I wish I could just spend more time with family, with friends, and kind of dictate my day a little bit better. And I definitely say that that is probably the most satisfying thing that came out of it, as well as being able to do something that I'm passionate about full time. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? That's a good question. I think to expect bumps down the road, even with like, small, like, you know, even if you're, if you're buying like new construction or something, I still, still, still buffer in for expenses, still expect things to happen because they always do. It's a good thing to set that expectation up front because you will learn it either way. It's just whether, whether or not you're prepared for it. I'm always curious also to find out if you guys have like a threshold or like a rule of thumb for, you know, reserves or in case things have happened. We do. We do as a company. We have reserves for a Black Swan event if Airbnb shut down. We have reserves for, you know, obviously mortgage payments on properties, weather conditions, any any I think after COVID, you, you kind of have to think that way. And um and actually a lot of Airbnb companies did well after the Black Swan event happened during COVID because during COVID, I think for a couple months a lot of hosts dropped off Airbnb and Airbnb had dipped significantly in revenue. So considering that we're built on that platform, we definitely have reserves for that reason. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Ooh, that's a good question. Probably to be hyper-focused. I think I'll, at least I'll speak for the Airbnb niche. Whenever you're entering, I, I think when you invest in real estate, you're always looking for like the gem right? That's like, that's what people look for. Like whether it's like the best OPEX team to manage your properties or, you know, the best property, like the, you know, what is it? Buy the the worst property in the best neighborhood. If you're always looking for that gem. And I think, I think when you have, when you enter a business where there's so many things that you could work on, it can be really distracting. So I think it's to double down on what you're really good at because you can take that and you, you can replicate that and you can follow that in your career of investing and that's what we learned as a business. Like, let's do really well. Let's continue to do what we're really good at. And let's not go a thousand different directions. And Sabrina, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, um, you can visit our website, uh, techvester.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll give you the link for that. And also my TikTok. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Sabrina. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly.
Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.